Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Oh, I'm not pro with you. I need to be more pro. <laughs> you don't have to be pro with me, Matthew. I am embarrassing myself in front of my partner. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's a struggle many of us face. Pursuing a dream, competing with raising a family. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 548. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Karina Yan Glazer, the author of the Vanderbeekers series. The Vanderbeekers to the Rescue is the third and latest installment in the series, and the five Vanderbeeker children find themselves in dire circumstances when new pets begin mysteriously arriving at their door. This might not seem like trouble alone, but the timing is less than ideal when the inspector shows up at their door in order to assess if the premises is up to regulation standards for mom to open her at-home bakery. And it really is top priority that they get their house in order before the photo crew come to shoot for the article that'll feature mom and her glorious baked goods. I would say, what could possibly go wrong? But there is no wrong where the Vanderbeeker kids won't feel called to the rescue. It's exactly this earnestness and sincerity and stick-with-itness that keeps me coming back to the Vanderbeekers over and over and over. As Karina points out in our conversation, it can be really hard to follow your dreams. But with any luck, you've got good people by your side as you try. Please welcome my guest, Karina Yan Glazer, author of The Vanderbeekers to the Rescue. Hi, my name is Karina Yan Glazer. I am the author of the Vanderbeekers series, and I am also a contributing editor at Book Riot and the co-host of Kidlet These Days with Matthew Winner. I live in New York City with my family and a whole bunch of rescued animals. 
<laughs> it's it's so fun to be referenced as if I'm <laughs> as if I'm just gonna hop in and jump into the other podcast. Oh, oh which, hi Matthew. Um, yeah. Hey, welcome back to the show, Karina. <laughs> it's this is so funny because I haven't done an interview like this because I haven't really like been making a thing with someone and then interview them aside from Blake when we were doing all the wonders, but that was to talk about what this project was we were doing together uh, here. You and I do a project and people can download it at book riot, Yeah, but we're here to talk about your books, which it's such a treat for me because as I said to you, I think I've, I've, ta- I've, I've definitely said it to you off recording before at some point, but I love your stories and loving your stories has given me an even deeper appreciation for getting to do some creative work, some podcasting with you at Book Riot, because I just, I respect you a whole lot. And I respect the work you do in children's literature at large as a, as a book reader and reviewer. But mostly I just think you're really rad as an author. Oh, thank you. I think you're so awesome too. And it was really awesome to start a podcast with you because I really admire your podcasting skills and (laughs) just loved, you know, listening to your interviews and they've kept me company as I've worked and done illustration. And I feel like I've learned a lot about so many different types of books through your podcast. So it's also an honor for me to be on here talking to you about Vanderbeekers. I wouldn't have guessed some year and change ago um, that we would have this this chance meeting at the Gaithersburg Book Festival, that we'd all be in this room with <laughs> the likes of Ellen O and Dan Sandat and all the other names, mm-hmm. um, and and just get to meet and and have. Anytime you're at a book festival, I feel like it's just wild that you authors walk among us. <laughs> but oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> That's so I know, funny. right? Let's let's get real pretentious here. But but um to come into this world of the Vanderbeekers and to enjoy it as much as I have through audiobook um has been a real treat. And we're we're coming in at book three. Yes. Uh the Vanderbeekers to the rescue. But I wonder if you don't mind first please introducing the series to those listeners that haven't encountered your book series yet? Yeah, so the series, so I didn't know it was going to be a series when I first wrote the first book. The first book is called The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street, and it introduces the Vanderbeekers family. It's a family with five kids and three pets, and they live in a brownstone in Harlem. And in the first book, the family... Um, well, the kids find out from their parents that the landlord of their building, who also happens to be their third floor neighbor, they find out that he is not renewing the lease on their apartment and they have to leave by the end of the year. And the book is set five days before Christmas. So that is only a couple of weeks that they have left in their home before they have to leave. And the kids are really devastated. They don't want to leave their neighborhood or their home. So they decide they're going to try to do everything they can to try to convince this man, this landlord, whose name is Mr. Biederman, to let them stay. So that is what launches off the first book. And while I was writing, well, revising that book with my editor, 
the publisher, which is HMH Books for Young Readers, they asked me to write a second book about the family. So I wrote the second book. And while I was writing the second book, they asked for a third book. And while I was writing the third book, they asked for a fourth and fifth book. So that's sort of how the series got started and has continued. And it's been such a joy to write these books. I have had the best time watching these kids get into scrapes and get out of scrapes and grow up. And it's it's been a real honor to, to write them. I love the way you say watching these kids. Um, because I think that it's magical when authors write books and sort of play this role of scribe to their characters' lived experiences, that you're just sort of recording them. Uh, and I feel like that's how Vanderbeekers feels to me, <laughs> where I'm like, how do these children keep getting into these situations? But it's really, I think, that you've designed... And, and created and, and, and written five beautiful characters that are all family, but all play off of one another in their dynamics. And so perhaps just by pairing them the right ways and watching what they do, story is revealed. Mm-hmm. But you've also done this other cool thing, which is over the course of these three books, you've first in the Vanderbeekers of 141st Street, uh, they, they, their house, their, 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 <laughs> their homestead was threatened. The, this place that they couldn't imagine being without because it was in so many ways part of their identity as for many of us, our childhood home is, mm-hmm. is a part of us. Imagine losing that. And at the second book, Vanderbeekers in the Hidden Garden, it was a chance to, to, save a space in their neighborhood to to always helping other people but also to to beautify a part of their neighborhood and to see that be at risk of of being taken away and then be at the third book to the rescue which by the way having not looked at the cover because i'm like some neanderthal who doesn't <laughs> look at covers of books when i listen to them on audio I, it took me a moment to realize, oh, to the rescue is a pet rescue thing. Okay, well, that took me a while to figure out, too, because actually our mutual friend, Laura Chauvin, who is a middle grade author, she is one of my critique partners, and she came up with that name because she is a poet and just amazing and wonderful with language, and I am terrible with titles, like just awful, and so she... She read the Vander the third book, and you know, and then we were all chatting about things that they liked, and you know, the the group liked, and what they thought I could work on. I was writing my notes, and then Laura all of a sudden says, "I have a title for your book because it was just labeled Vanderbeekers Three, and she's like, I think it should be the Vanderbeekers to the Rescue, and I just thought that title was so awesome. So I was like, okay, and I gave it to my editor and she loved it. And then it was only like, I would say like two months ago, I was like, ah, I understand why Laura said that title. (laughs) I don't know why it just didn't occur to me. I just thought it was a brilliant title, but now I think it's a brilliant title because it has multiple meanings. (laughs) I would say it's brilliant because it's a double entendre. Yeah. It's brilliant because 
the book is about them going to the animal rescue, but that also that title summarizes what I'm positive will also be your fourth and fifth book because these children have a way of of rescuing themselves in their circumstances and not apart from the adults in their life. And I'm grateful that that the adults are important in their life, mm-hmm. um, whether the adults are sort of on the same page as the kids or if if they are in disagreement with the kids. Every person, I believe, that walks into your stories, from my experience, over three stories and some, I don't know, 800 pages, uh, or maybe I should say 12 hours of audio, that <laughs> <laughs> um, every character is important. Um, and I think that that, I, I would like to think, especially from knowing you for the past year or so, that that's sort of just who you are, Karina. I think that if I've if I've learned anything from you, it's that you really think everyone deserves a voice and deserves a chance. And I could see that in your writing. I value that about you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to jump into Vanderbeekers to the rescue, if we can, because you you so lovingly said, you know, this is a a family of five kids and three pets that live in a brownstone. But in this book, it becomes quite a bit more than three pets. Um, and yes. I think that having, you know, I sort of wrongfully said that it was the, um, I don't know what I said about book three, about what is under threat, but maybe you we can just say, say that. Yeah. no, cause what's under threat is, is mom's business. Yes. And that's true. can we even say too, that among, among many things under threat, but we can almost say that in this way, it's, it's mom's dream that's under threat that that she's longed mm-hmm. to open up a bakery of her own for for a long time and i think that yes and i mean this lovingly i think karina that you were kind of an awful person for making me feel like oh my gosh <laughs> these children have ruined the chance for mom's dream what are we gonna do <laughs> there were there were tears in this book Aww. But I know you cared for well, us. You cared for us, readers. Go ahead. Tell me yes. about about okay. how this book, how this story came to you. Well, okay. So I thought it was more lighthearted than some of the other ones. But um, <laughs> what I wanted to do was combine two things I really loved, which were animals and bakeries. And so when I sort of mashed them up together, it became the storyline about the mom having this opportunity to really grow her business. And so the book starts off with her getting this phone call and having the opportunity to be profiled in this really well-known lifestyle magazine um, for her baking. So, and then you fast forward a little bit and it's, you know, the week before the photo shoot and the kids make a mistake and something happens that inadvertently destroys her business and she doesn't know about it. So, I mean, I guess in some ways too, you know, as a mom and as someone who has changed careers a few times and um, thinking about sort of 
the struggle that all of us have about pursuing a dream, but also, you know, that competing with other things in your life that are very important, like for me, raising a family. And I think in a lot of ways in the Vanderbeekers to the Rescue, I was examining sort of the ways in which I think, you know, in this certain season, um, it can be really hard to follow your dream or there are a lot of setbacks. And thinking about my own journey to being a writer, which is something I've always wanted to do ever since I was young. I was, I thought I was going to be an author when I grew up. And when I went to college, I did other, you know, I studied other things and I, you know, my first job was something totally different from writing. And then, you know, and then I had kids and, and then I was reading these wonderful children's books to them, the things that I read when I was younger, but also all the wonderful and amazing books that have come out recently that are just so incredible. And it just reminded me of that dream I had when I was younger. And then, you know, I like to say that it was a really smooth course to being an author, but it's not, you know, it's never that way. So I thought about that a lot when I was writing the third book about pursuing something you really want to do, but also it being hard because you, you know, I have a family and I have young children and I can't do everything. So I loved writing The Vanderbeekers, The Rescue, because I loved seeing how the kids grew in their understanding of their mother's dream and also their support of it and their determination that she had, you know, been so supportive of all their dreams and all the things that they wanted to do. And, And I think it was this really beautiful moment when they came to realize all the ways that their their family functions because their mom's respect of their own dreams even at the expense of her own so that was sort of what I was thinking about a lot when I was writing this third book support for the children's book podcast comes from the highlights foundation imagine your own private retreat in a picturesque setting The Highlights Foundation believes all writers and artists can benefit from the gift of time. Time to create and time to dream. That's why they developed a program called Unworkshops that gives you the opportunity to create your own retreat. In an Unworkshop, time is yours to spend as you please. No structure, no schedule. They will provide you with comfortable lodging and three great meals a day. From the moment you arrive, you'll feel right at home and fussed over. They'll furnish a peaceful setting that lets you focus solely on your work. And for only $149 a day, you and your career are worth the investment. Learn more about these and other workshops and online courses by visiting highlightsfoundation.org programs. I like that the children are able to um, respond to mom's selflessness. Any parent, we ideally, a parent's selflessness for their child. Hopefully we don't have like 
selfish parents listening to the podcast <laughs> but but that the children in your in this book in particular are so they're so thoughtful i to me and it could maybe it could be because this is the book i read most recently right but to me as much as you say this was sort of the lightest book i felt like there was so much tension and peril in this story that quite frankly, I just didn't see where we were going. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe it was just that I was really wrapped up in something about, I don't know, the time in my life too. And, and what it's like to experience this story. But um, I, I saw, and it really, it really made me feel for the kids in a different way. How, much they were directly working for their mom. They just wanted to do this good thing for them and it just kept not working out. Mm-hmm. And and the grit that they were demonstrating to just keep trying, but but also the space you gave mom without giving anything away, but to affirm um, that there's space in there where mom and dad both just saw their kids and said, you know, some of these things are out of our hands or some of these things might never have been. And that's okay. It wasn't just you. It would have, um, there would have been a roadblock. If not you, there would have been another roadblock right behind you. It wasn't you, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to love a child that way, I think is a really big thing. And if it feels like that's just what parents do, then I, I think affirming that for any adult to love a child that way, regardless of if that's what you do or not, it's still a big freaking thing that you do that and a big self selfless thing that you do that. I'm glad that this book um, to me resonated in, in a way that was even deeper than the other two uh, on that front. Mm. I also think that um <laughs> The, the running, I think it was a gag, and I'm and I mean that very lovingly. But the 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 reoccurring issue of, um, the kids open their front door and there's another thing or things, <laughs> living things that they're just like, well, I mean, now I guess we got to figure out what to do with guinea pigs. <laughs> um, I thought like this is so great and also for real. Who is dropping animals off? I'll tell you that. Oh, I can't tell you. I need to tell you off recording because it'll give away, it'll give away things. But I thought Karina, I was like, mm, I figured out this book. I know what is happening. And these children are not guessing the thing that I think is happening. Oh, interesting. And I was way wrong. Really? And I was like, good, good for me to be so wrong and to have it be the re I'm talking so vaguely I hate myself for it but to have the way that you delivered well let me give you praise this way Karina the way that you have delivered in all three of these books natural consequences and natural fortune Mm. nothing in this book feels like well that just wouldn't happen I feel like even even the luck, if you will, the fortune that you give these kids feels earned, feels like, yep, 
that's the thing I just wouldn't have thought of, but that's totally a thing. <laughs> well, it's sort of funny because there's this family I've become friends with in North Carolina that um, discovered me through the first book. And I've met them because I've been in North Carolina for book festivals and I see them every every year. And the mom had reached out to me because she was reading the third book out loud. And it was so funny because she's like, you will not believe what just happened to us. And like while we were reading the third book and I asked what? And she said, a, you know, three kittens ended up on our doorstep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that that happened. And like they're feeding it and like the kids are just two beautiful, sweet, awesome kids. And she is like, the kids were just like so amazed <laughs> that the Vanderbeekers have come to life on their doorstep. <laughs> I thought that was so awesome. <laughs> I mean, initially, and I'm, I feel confident that all of your readers are feeling this when they read this book, all of those like wonderful nine and 10 year olds and whatever that I work with, I can imagine them reading this going like, yeah. I'm asking for more pets and suddenly one appears on my doorstep. This is a godsend. And I <laughs> yeah. can also imagine that there are one um, kids that read your book that are like at whatever point in whatever animal gets dropped off are probably like, yes, the <laughs> author gave me the animal that I wanted. Yeah. And I bet there's some others that are like, Ooh, I wish that she would have dropped off this yeah. animal. Cause yeah. it's the, this is the one that I want. <laughs> so good and you're doing this you're, you're like you're in this position where i get to say like my friend karina <laughs> goes out on book tour and actually talks to children about this thing you are the person that goes out and and gets to see kids i mean you're one of many people yes. i get that but it's just neat to me karina that you I am such a fan of your books and I get to talk to you about what, what it was like to visit this other school in, you know, Jersey or Florida or whatever that you did. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder a lot of things, but the first thing I wanted to ask is I wonder if the kids you've met and that have read your books have made suggestions on what, circumstances the Vandermakers might find themselves in next. Yeah. So that is something that is happening <laughs> all the time. Nice. One, awesome. Yeah. One day I got home and I had this huge manila envelope in my, like stuffed in my PO box and I, you know, I like yanked it out of there and opened it and it was just like a hundred suggestions of what the Vanderbeekers should do next um, and I thought it was just so great. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are about animals. They're like, maybe they can have another animal or maybe mama can have another baby. And I was like, I don't think mama's ready to have another baby. I don't, I think she's done. <laughs> That's five kids. Isn't that kids though? Yeah. It's so. Like what's important, what's important to a child, animals and, and family. Yeah. Well, one of the things that was really interesting was I was at this school in, I think it was in Atlanta or maybe Florida. And there was a group of kids out of the larger group that I was speaking to that had read the book and discussed it in a book club. And they all came up to me afterwards and they all swore me and they're like, 
We really love Lainey, the character of Lainey, who oh, in the very Lainey. first book, she was four and three quarters. And so they were just had so many questions about Lainey. And they're like, okay, so in the first book, there's a scene where she's wearing this panda jacket and she calls herself Panda, panda Lainey. <laughs> and panda Lainey. yeah, she crawls around like a panda bear. And the kids were very they just really wanted to make sure that Panda Laney made a, reapp- a reappearance. And I was, I just had to say, well, you know, she's getting older. She's not, she doesn't fit in the, in the Panda jacket anymore by book three. And they're like, Oh, what? Really? Like, I think she was so cute in the Panda jacket and they were just so disappointed about the Panda jacket. And it felt so interesting to me because I was like, I want to please you, but I'm also, it's also hard because she's getting older. Like she really doesn't fit in the panda jacket anymore. And yeah, mm. but it's interesting because in a way, when people ask me about the future books, like what happens with Herman and you know, what's going to happen in book four. And it's interesting because, well, I've already written book four, but um, it's, it feels like because writing a series, you get to know the characters so well, which is so fun that I can yeah. say like, okay, well, that character is not appearing as much in the fourth book because he has a lot of homework. <laughs> like mm. He just is busier and, you know, they all can't show up in as a starring role in every single book, like the supplementary characters. And I think that's, it's interesting when I hear from readers, like who they want to hear more from. Of the five, or maybe of, of all the characters, of Issa and Oliver and Lainey and, and uh, Jess and Hyacinth, do you have, is there one voice that you feel like comes most naturally to you? Um, not, you know, not really. I think that was hmm. what, why I was drawn to writing this book um, was because I could go to a different voice when I mm. felt like I wasn't sure what to do with a character. So it was a way for me to sort of approach the situation from a different point of view. And I really liked that because it helped me understand the situation from different perspectives and yeah I do I mean I love writing each of them in their own way like Lainey I love writing her because I like the way she looks at the world and she more closely resembles my my younger daughter and I'm I'm just fascinated by like how she sees things and it's interesting it's like a way for me to process it through Lainey and then Oliver, I love writing him because I just think he's so funny. And I just think the way he sees things, especially being, you know, like right in the middle of this big family, yeah. um, just <laughs> his perspective is often very funny. And he's very single-minded about certain things. So so he feels so pragmatic about things. I yeah. love it. So that's really fun. And then Jesse and Issa, I like because they are very different, even though they're twins. They're the older ones in the book and they approach situations very differently. And I did that on purpose because 
because they are twins and I didn't want readers to be confused between them. And Hyacinth is just, I mean, a lot of people tell me that Hyacinth is their favorite. And I think that's because a lot of people can relate to the way she is. Um, she's one of the quieter ones. Um, so this, this book got optioned by Amy Poehler. And when that happened, I talked to her, we had coffee and she was telling me that she saw Hyacinth. <laughs> I mean, no big deal. <laughs> Just, you know, Amy Poehler and I had coffee, as New Yorkers do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's awesome. Oh, yeah. I have not heard this okay, yet. Okay, so when she was talking about so she went through all the different characters and talked about how she saw mm. saw them like in a in a like a theatrical sense. And she said that Hyacinth is the one in the background who observes everything so closely. And she's the one who always figures things out first. Um, hmm. Even that while all everyone else is talking and talking and she's just sort of quietly in the background processing it and getting to the root of everything first. And I think that's sort of true about her. It's funny when other people talk about your characters and you're like, oh, okay, we didn't really... That totally makes sense <laughs> now that you said that. But I think a lot of readers do relate to Hyacinth. So I really like writing her because she is growing a lot in the books. And she's, mm. you know, it's fun to watch that for me. So I wonder going into Vanderbeekers of 141st Street, where, as you were starting to craft out this story, sort of where where your life ended and their life began and why why land on five five is a great dynamic and maybe it is because of we have twins and showing the difference between the two and we have this younger one and we have like maybe it just sort of is the the number that worked but i i wonder a little bit about what those initial the, the initial um, imagining of, of, of this world looked like for you? So in my mind, it was always five. And maybe because I like that number. Also, my, um, my brother and sister-in-law, they have five kids. And I have always been fascinated with large families because I came from a very small family. And I thought that having a big family would be really awesome, especially when I was growing up. I loved books about big families. And so in my mind, it was always five. It was never four. It was never six. It was always mm. five. And when I was pitching this book to agents, one of the agents that I had pitched to had said, I think you have way too many characters. I think that um, that readers won't be able to follow so many characters. And I thought about that a lot because, you know, when you're looking for an agent, you really are trying to figure out what is working in your story and what's not working in your story. And I would, you know, I really took that advice and thought about it and thought about, okay, well, what if I made it three care, three siblings, two siblings, and it just never worked in my mind. And I kept it at five and it, required more work on my part to make them more distinct and really make sure that readers weren't getting confused between them. But it was always, I never, I just never could entertain the 
the idea that it would be less than that. That's great. It does. It works. It really does work. And as I was affirming earlier, you also have a great deal more characters than those five that come in and out of the kids' lives at various points. Um, and and everyone feels important and needed. Hmm. And I, I think they are. And I think that the kids treat everyone as if they are important and needed. Again, whether or not they agree or disagree with the individual, they're taking in their world and they're learning from that, that individual. Mm-hmm. And there's something to say about that. You also do everything on such tight timelines. A couple days. <laughs> like, how are we getting through five days? And um, sure enough, when we start getting closer to the the end of days, I don't mean it that way. <laughs> when we get closer to the end of days, um, it it really feels like a crunch. And um, I think we readers experience that feeling with you, and and that um, I give credit to your editing skills and your editor, um, but also your writing that that you can you can allow the pace to pick up and feel like time is threatening but also reassure that that even when time runs out, there's still enough time to make things right. Mm. Well, I do have a really amazing editor. In the first book, it was originally a lot longer than it ended up being. So when I gave it to her, it was about, well, when I gave it to her for the first time, it was like 68,000 words. And then she asked me to cut 20,000 words. Uh, yes it was it was a lot of cutting cut a lot of scenes just to maintain that pace because you know and it was right I mean she was definitely right about it and I cut a lot the first round probably like 10,000 words and she was like I think you can cut more and so I got it down to 48,000 words and I mean, there were a bunch of scenes that I loved that I had to cut out. And there was one big scene in the first book that I just thought was, it was just so heartbreaking to cut because it was such a fun scene. I really liked it. And I, I've kept on trying to work it into other books, like the second book, it didn't mm. work. The third book, it didn't work. I didn't even try with the fourth book. I was like, forget it. <laughs> it's not meant to be. But you keep. You keep those sort of outtakes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I might put it on my website as a separate bonus something, but yeah, I mean, that was part of the project. Karina, Karina can you give me, sorry, I was just going to ask if you could give me a sense of like how many thousands of words do you have in name a book in, you know, Vanderbeekers to the Rescue and like how many pages is that can you connect those two for us okay so the uh i don't have the books in front of me but roughly yeah so i think it's the first one is about 300 pages so the second book is a little bit longer so they're all about four hours okay on an audiobook and i know that listening to a four-hour audiobook I picked up another book and it's, it's, um, 278 pages. So that feels about about in line with what you're saying. Yeah. So it was probably, I mean, because it was never formatted 
to be a final book when I first gave the draft at 68,000 words. That was probably, I mean, sometimes I talk about it in terms of like the Harry Potter books. So I was like, think about like Harry Potter three, that's a lot longer than Harry Potter one. So it's sort of like whittling it down to Harry Potter one, which is the shortest out of all of them. And then the final Vandermeker's book will be Harry <laughs> Potter and the Deathly Hallowed Long. Like you can fit all four of the previous yeah, books into one final books. book. <laughs> <laughs> the Vanderbeekers uncut. Yeah. And it's just all of the scenes. I will make yeah, them work. All <laughs> so you, you get them down to, you're saying like, whatever the number is, like 40,000. So the first book is, is 48,000. So I would say like 50,000 is like the average of all of them. Yeah. Cool. Need to know that. I mean, I don't think that the readers necessarily have the opportunity often to equate that number with a page count that when you say you're writing this book, um, you certainly don't write it in the dimensions of what the book will ultimately be. Right. So um, knowing when they, when they write a story and they type up a story and you do a word count, um, knowing how that length might translate. It's just something interesting to me. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting because, because it sets the pace of how, how the book is moving to, so for middle grade, you know, it can vary a lot. Um, but in general, 50,000, I think, is a pretty normal number for middle grade. So thinking about the pace in terms of, okay, I have this many pages to tell a story. And where mm-hmm. are the ebbs and the flows in that? Uh, so there's like beats that by the time we hit x number of thousand words we should know our characters we should be able to hit this point or that Mm -hmm. that's a neat story skeleton story framework to be able to think about with kids too is just are you plotting are you plotting but are you are you thinking about that pacing as you write stories we never have enough time in school i always think about this that i would love to write much more longer form with children and also take time editing and, and you know, sitting with mm-hmm. a story. Um, because I, I feel like at least from doing these interviews, most writers, if they wrote as a child, uh, really did it of their own accord. You weren't, you weren't writing any sort of thing, long form in the context of school. No. And so it really ends up being a, a, a personal project. I mean, it's it's sort of a self-guided personal project from the start. Yeah, yeah, but I have gotten a lot of, you know, after I do school business, I always get a handful of kids that run up to me and tell me they're writing a story and it's this many pages, you know, like that's like a big thing. Like it's, I filled up 10 pages yeah. and it's very, like they're very proud of that. And also I think now because there's like Google Docs and all these different document sharing programs. It's been really fun to see Mm -hmm. kids write stories with other kids and, 
you know, yeah. they're sharing the documents back and forth and adding to things and editing each other. And I think that's just so awesome. I think that's where you, where we really are at a neat place in education is that you don't have to necessarily feel like you're so alone writing. Even children um, can share their stories so much more easily. You don't have to worry about your coveted um, only copy of the thing that you wrote that you're going to hand to a friend. Um, you can share things digitally and also see that maybe a lot of you write and maybe a lot of you write really different mm-hmm. things. So where it is more of a, a self, self-led activity, it, it maybe doesn't need to feel isolating in ways that perhaps some activities felt isolating to you and I, as we were growing mm-hmm. up, uh, there's, there's a way that the world got a little bit smaller when the internet started making all these connections between all of yes. us. Yeah, I agree. And now they can write to you. They can tweet to you. They can like do things like this. That's, that's awesome. That, that as a librarian, we have the opportunity to reach out to folks like you, if nothing else, just to express love and gratitude and 100 possible sequels to the Vandermakers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I, um, I'm always grateful to spend time with you and I'm so blessed to get to do it nearly every week. But, um, for this conversation, uh, this was something special. Thank you, Karina, for setting time aside to talk to me about Vanderbeekers and these wonderful, wonderful children and, um, the way that you've cared for them through, I guess, four books now and for at least yes. one more. Well, thank you for having me. This thank has really been fun. It's been so awesome to do the the Book Riot podcast with you. That has just been really amazing. And I felt like, I feel like I've learned so much from you and the questions you ask and the things you think about. And it's been really great for me. And I just love geeking out on books oh. with you. It's really fun. <laughs> I know. It's nice to have a book nerd (laughs) friend. Well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm glad that I'm glad that we've got this road ahead together. Um, And I'm glad that there are more Vanderbeekers books and that um, I get to, in a way, experience all of the ways that readers are connecting with them, not only in my library, but also through the joy and the stories that you share. I'm grateful for that. So with that and with that joy in mind, uh, I want to wrap things up with you by asking you that Karina, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes. So, so school libraries, you know, the story Um, we've talked about this before, but school libraries have always been so important in my life. I grew up changing schools almost every year and I really found a sanctuary in libraries and I knew even though I was going into another school year with a really, you know, unfamiliar school, unfamiliar classmates, I always knew that I would see those books that I loved on the shelves and that has been really, really special for me to have that continuity in my life. And one thing I also would really love to tell your kids is that Mr. Winner is 
so amazing and and you kids are very lucky to have him and you know as a writer I go to a lot of school libraries and I meet a lot of librarians and I meet a lot of teachers and there are just so many amazing people doing incredible things out there and I am just a million times grateful for school librarians and it's so special when you have great ones I think they just make all the difference so if you could share that with them I would really appreciate it this is Darshna Kiani author of How to Wear a Sari coming in fall 2020 want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.